Okay. September already. Goodness gracious. Great to see you out on Labor Day weekend. Yeah, we had such a fun time. I've had so many people talk to me about in the month of August when we had all the kids come in. And, and people just love that. And so we're going to really try to think of a way uh, to maybe do that once a quarter, uh, at least one month a year. And boy, did we enjoy having them in here for that. And I know some of you people who have a hard time staying, uh, kind of uh, keep your attention, keep tuned in with the message. You really like having the little uh, kid stuff to keep you thinking, right? Yeah, that was good, good for everybody. But we're starting a, a series today called Modern Church. And our life groups that meet in the first hour uh, started in their notes on this this morning. And I, I was just so blessed and privileged to go over and meet with our group that meets in the other building upstairs, uh, groups of, of singles, millennials, young adults, young marrieds. And uh, boy, it was so fun to be with them. And, and they have such a passion for Jesus. And I'm so thrilled that they're a part of Centennial. I'd like to read with you today a passage uh, in Mark chapter 7 as we get started. Yeah, the notes are right inside the bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. Hope you can stick around today after church for our picnic. And even if you didn't know about it, didn't bring anything, we have all sorts of food. Uh, I know for sure we have enough hamburgers and hot dogs and buns and all that stuff. So come on afterward. And then after picnic, there's softball. And even if you didn't know about it or you didn't bring a glove, people will share with you. Come on out for us. It's going to be a great day. And ladies, uh, let me second what my wife said. Do whatever is in your power to make it to ladies' retreat this year. Uh, everything. And there's going to be objections like child care and all these different sorts of things. Uh, be praying that God will solve that problem. And my wife, bless her heart, she thinks that the way to solve that problem is just to tell everybody that needs child care, my husband will watch them. <clears throat> I mean, that's okay for a, a little while, but, you know, it, it gets, well, it's interesting. But, uh, but guys, listen, if you have a way to help them get there, you will definitely be blessed by them being blessed. And uh, I hope you'll uh, really work hard to get ladies to ladies' retreat. I'd also like to take a second and commend Centennial Baptist Church for stepping up to meet needs. Uh, Thursday, an email went out from the church office about a desperate need in the Awana ministry for the coming year. And within hours, we had multiple people step up to serve. Yeah, that is awesome. All glory to God. And would you give God a hand on that? That is awesome. That's so wonderful. Uh, by the way, after church today, we have some Awana leaders who will be in the lobby to answer your questions on how you can help. We still can use more people serving in that great ministry. Look at now Mark chapter 7, starting in verse number 14. <clears throat> and when he, Jesus, had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Now this concept, we're going to read more in a second. This concept, I'm telling you what, it blew these people away. Because they had been trained to think that their culture 
that the Roman pagan hedonism was what was making Judaism falter. And Jesus is telling them that the problem that they had came from inside of their own hearts, not from outside in the culture. All right, so that's why he said, verse 16, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Don't you like it when Jesus said that? Like, you got ears? Hear what I'm saying. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into a man, it cannot defile him? You can't eat food that defiles your heart because it entereth not into his heart but into the belly and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. Now look at these verses. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. I've been prepping for this series for quite a while. I've read quite a few books and uh, checking out blogs and just seeing what leaders in Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, are saying uh, the biggest issues are that we face in the modern church era just to see what other people are saying. We have kind of our own thought process on that. You know, some of the people here today are from older generations, right? It's just how it works. Now, how many of you would be willing to admit you would think that maybe you're part of an older generation? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, it's all in the mind, right? It's all in the mind. Yeah, some of you, you know, you, you would have said, I'm, I'm younger. Now, uh, how many would say, I am from a younger generation, from a younger generation? Okay, kind of looking around, all right? Uh, so we all have a little different perspective based on when we were born, where we grew up. And in many ways, we have in our society and in our churches, we have a generational divide. Uh, for those of us in older generations, and I'm kind of on the cusp, I'm 46, so I could kind of go either way here. Uh, we have to make sure when we speak that we're giving sound biblical truth if we're from an older generation and that we're not just being cranky based on the year on our birth certificate, okay? Because that happens a lot. Uh, the whole get off my lawn thing starts to happen at a certain age and stage of life. Uh, and so biblical authority is an issue that has been important since there's been a Bible, And in this generation, the question, again, because there's nothing new under the sun, the question again is, uh, is truth based on our feelings and our self-awareness, or is truth based on God's word? And in society today, there is a denying of objective reality for subjective reality. The 2016 Oxford Word of the Year was, check this out, 2016 Oxford Word of the Year was post-truth. Post-truth. And here's the definition. Objective facts are less influential 
in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And you hear people say, well, I have my own truth. You heard that? Kind of an Oprahism. Uh, I have my own truth. If you don't know what an Oprahism is, then you clearly need a new dictionary. Uh, now, when we say I have my own truth, that's exactly the opposite of reality. See, truth is truth no matter who believes it. Truth is truth no matter how much of it they believe. And there is a constant pressure for Christians to conform to the tolerant side of issues. And we are getting pushed into joining the outrage cycles that take place all the time. And sadly, a lot of Christians are, are more horrified at the prospect of being unpopular on social media than they are by what the Bible calls sin. But like it or not, we really do live in a secular age, what is often called a postmodern world, where many claim there's no objective truth, that Christianity is just one of many options, they say. More people than ever uh, grow up no knowing nothing about God or his word. It's just happening in our society. And biblical illiteracy is this huge issue, uh, even among those who attend church on a regular basis. For instance... Now, this is in a poll that I read recently. 82% of evangelicals think that God helps those who help themselves is a verse in the Bible. Okay, 82%. And some of you are like, it's not in there? I thought it was in there. Uh, this one cracked me up. 12% 12 of the people who took the poll think that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> That's too good. Uh, you got to love that. That's good. And 50% uh, and think that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife instead of ancient cities. And here's the interesting thing. There may be people here today who have no idea what I just said about any of it because of where you're coming from and your background, and that's okay. And we just sang that song, Come As You Are. And you know what I love about Jesus he takes anybody, anywhere, anytime, and he loves them, and he's willing to work with them, and he sees potential in them. In life groups this morning, we saw how Jesus came, and he would take the reed that had been broken, that had been bent over by traffic and by people, and he would heal that wound, and he would lift the reed back up. And he would take that little ball of wax that's left in the lantern, and he would breathe new life into it. Jesus can do that for your life, too. Yeah, so that's not part of the notes, just all free stuff. But um, there's clearly much hostility toward a biblical worldview today. And that, that's going to lead to possible religious liberty implications in the future. Not to get into that, not to get all scary. But our culture today, I'm sure you've seen this, it's often called uh, three specific words, divided. That's one of the big words. Uh, fragmented, polarized. And we do live in a world of contradiction. Here's what's interesting. Uh, the Me Too movement, maybe you've heard of that. It has some valid concerns. But consider this. Uh, the same people who started the Me Too movement celebrated Hugh Hefner at Playboy magazine for decades. Now, many of those who are crying out on social media for human dignity 
are at the same time actively working to eliminate children with disabilities before they're born. And there's a counterfeit vision of humanity that's being pushed down the throats of everyone. Leading people to feel that they are self-made and self-aware instead of being God-made and God-aware. And there's a worldwide persecution of Christians in a biblical worldview, especially in parts of the Middle East and Asia. We don't really have it bad here at all. We just sometimes think we do. Let me throw some good news into the mix. Did you know that the book of Acts and the world being turned upside down by the gospel happened in a secular age? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And the fact that Christians are becoming a minority should excite us that God's about to do something great. In spite of this cultural push against God, we can rest in him. It's his job to fix the issues. It's our job to offer hope and light. Another issue tied to postmodernism is the distrust of authority. Okay, whether it's political leaders, religious leaders, educational leaders. And the problem with this distrust of authority is that it leads to distrust not just of human authorities, but of submission to the authority of Christ. Submission to the authority of the scriptures. After all, Christianity is a call to the transcendent authority that rises above all other authorities. And in the midst of all this, whatever you want to call it, postmodernism, Christianity becoming a minority lifestyle, we unfortunately have believers who buy in. And we have a whole segment of the Christian population who have become consumer Christians. Uh, There's a great deal of church hopping and church shopping uh, for the church where I'll get something and that fits me and where I like the music, where I get something from the sermon. And many people have forgotten that worship is supposed to be about God, not us. And church is about the purposes that Jesus set forth, not whether or not we really enjoyed it for our personal preference and satisfaction. At the same time that's going on in Christianity, there is an aversion to commitment in our society. Uh, I read this thing and I had to look at it and see, what is this? It said millennials have been called the FOMO generation. That means FOMO, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. They want to keep their options open instead of committing to something or someone. Now this This one blew my mind. This blew my mind. This is in the Barna research poll from just this last year. Here's what it says. 91% of millennials expect to stay in a job less than three years. 91%. That's a different process. Homeownership is happening at a far lower rate in 2018. We as a society are getting married later or not at all. We're having children later or not at all. And naturally, this also includes less commitment to the local church and to discipleship. Another term I found for modern culture, and this one is kind of one you have to kind of sound out. It's so weird. Uh, Disembodied tendencies. Isn't that weird? Disembodied tendencies. And what it means is in this digital world, many relationships are only digital. Digital. 
And we, especially those in the younger generations, we need more physical gatherings where we actually talk to real-life human beings. We need to connect with each other. We need the accountability, and we need the fellowship. I read this one, too. This is crazy. It says, boredom is a big problem. That was one of the things. Boredom is a big problem. Uh, Because attention spans are short. And news cycles change every couple days. But the majority of people aren't even keeping track of the news. Uh, They're binge-watching shows on Netflix that they'll soon forget they even saw. Or they're checking out meaningless YouTube videos just to pass the time. But this this isn't just a bored culture. It is a self-identity culture. Obsessed with what's in it for me. How can I portray myself better? And here's the term I found. Uh, They call it posturing. Performative obsession that feeds pride and hypocrisy. This is happening right around us. So, look, there are challenges that are unique to every generation. But they aren't the main challenges. Uh, Here's the hope I'm going to give you today. Uh, They aren't the main challenges. The main challenges never change. They remain the same generation after generation. God versus Satan, good versus evil. And it might feel like the issues of modern culture have just arrived on the scene. But the reality is, they're as ancient as sin itself. Modern issues are really ancient issues. And if we're going to be sensitive or or relevant to this culture, uh, we don't do it through gimmicks. We do it through the power of the living word of God. We do it through relationships. Because all truth comes from God. And all issues come from the heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. These issues aren't new, they're ancient. They're repackaged and recycled again and again and again. Uh, Consider Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. All right, you remember this? The The serpent speaks to Eve, and she quickly buys into the concept that she deserves more than she has. God's trying to hold something back from me. I deserve more than I have. Now, you know what that is? That's greed. She hasn't gotten what she feels she deserves, which leads to anger. God could have given her more than he did. That's envy. And so she eats the fruit. Adam consciously eats the fruit, knowing it's against God's law. And they both find themselves trying to hide their wrong from God. That's guilt. Consider the first two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain wanted to worship God in the way he chose, whether God liked it or not. That's pride. He said, it's all about me, even in his offering to God. That's greed. He refused to bring a sin offering, and he got angry. Angry and jealous enough, in fact, to commit the first murder. And when God asked him about Abel, he famously said, Am I my brother's keeper? That question stems from guilt. And so Cain had issues because his parents had issues. We have issues because our parents and their parents and their parents had issues. And the words that we use to describe the issues might go through some changes, but the heart problems remain the same for every generation. 
And when you hear about baby boomer issues or Gen X issues or millennial issues, remember that they're all the same heart issues. And there's only one cure for them, Jesus. Now, the second part of the message, I want to deal with these four, these core heart issues from Eden and beyond that are the root problems in our lives, our homes, our churches, our society. And so we're going to go through this section pretty quickly, but I hope you'll really glue in and keep up with us. So here we go. Uh, first, we talk about the IOU movement. The IOU movement. And that is guilt. The IOU movement is guilt. Human conscience leads to human guilt. Right? The four-year-old kid knows that he took a cookie from the cookie jar when he wasn't supposed to. And he doesn't know how to process what he feels because his conscience is still calling him out on his sin. Right? And, and mom comes in and looks at him and says, did you take a cookie from the cookie jar? He got chocolate all over his face and his mouth is full. Now, that same four-year-old kid someday is going to be a 54-year-old man doing the same thing because his wife's, you getting my cookies? Right? How many of you wives know that I'm telling the truth here? Right? Your husband is a sinner. He is a cookie-thieving sinner. It's just the way it is. <laughs> we all face this deal with guilt. We all have a human conscience. And when our hearts tell us that we took something, we feel inside a need to pay up, even when it's impossible to do. Think about this. How do you repay your kids for the part of their lives that's your failures or your neglect or your divorce or your abuse or whatever it is costs them? The answer is you can't repay that. And though it feels like we owe because our hearts tell us we took something, guilt pushes us away from actually being responsible. And we don't seek out opportunities to make things right like we should. And shame is attached to guilt. And all human beings hate to feel shame. And so we hide like Adam and Eve did. We cover like they did. We create stories. We put on masks, even with those closest to us. We don't want anybody to know what's really inside of us. And guilt and shame push us to that place. You know, the only antidote for this illness of guilt, the only answer for this issue is confession. It's the only answer for guilt, confession. Only the truth will set you free, Jesus said. I love what it says in Proverbs 28. He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You know, hiding your problems is never going to solve them. And justifying things and lying to yourself about why you can't tell the truth is never going to solve your problems. Confession opens all the doors. But confession takes massive courage. Many of the things that are tied to the Me Too movement of recent years stem from shame. 
people started telling stories that had been told for years or even decades. And what stopped them from telling these stories before? Fear and shame. These stories of sexual harassment and abuse have horrified us and angered us. And obviously, justice would be the right thing. But why were these things hidden for so long? Because guilt hides. Shame hides. Listen, shame hides even when you were the one who didn't do the wrong thing. Right? Shame hides from, from everybody else. And God bless you, some of you have had some horrible things done to you by horrible people. And yet, you're the one who feels the shame. You're the one who feels the guilt. And that's extending your pain. And I'm telling you this morning that you telling your story is the first step. Now, I'm not saying you need to declare sensitive issues to the whole world or to your whole family. But you should definitely open that lock box that, lock box that has messed you up for so long. Tell a counselor. Tell a mature Christian. Tell a discipler. Tell a spouse. Confession is the key to overcoming guilt. Let's talk next about the you owe me movement. Okay, so we got the IOU movement. Now we got the you owe me movement. And this is anger. This is anger. When we don't get what we want or even what we deserve, a debt is created. Now I want you to go inside your mind right now. Okay, think of a time when you were really angry. Okay, hopefully it wasn't like this morning. Think of a time in your life when you were really angry, maybe even justifiably so. Somebody, somebody stole something from you. Somebody uh, assaulted you. Think of a time when you were really angry. Go right there. Think of it. Okay. Isn't it true that the entire situation could come down to this central idea, you wanted something and you didn't get it. You deserved something and you didn't get it. Maybe it was you wanted safety growing up and you didn't get it. Maybe it was you wanted purity in your life and somebody took that from you. You wanted one outcome and you didn't get it. And James tells us in James 4, that every conflict on earth happens because somebody doesn't get what he or she wants. Every single conflict. Now, what you want may also be what you deserve. I'm not getting into the nitpicking of that right now. I do know this. There are a lot of angry people in our world. Some of them have parents make devastating choices in their lives. And there's a debt that's been created and probably can't be repaid. And we feel the need for payback, even when payback is impossible. And here's the way we think when we're angry. If I cancel the debt, I let the guilty party off the hook. And he needs to pay. She needs to pay. And here's the issue about the issue. If anger stays in your heart long enough, you're going to move past somebody owing you and start to believe that everybody owes you. Your wrath is going to extend to everybody. 
And I'm telling you, in our culture today, there are entire groups and classifications of angry people out there. And there's nothing you can do to please them. You won't ever get it right. They can't let you get it right. Or they would lose their excuse for staying angry. And there are people out there who are very comfortable staying angry because it's how they've lived for so long. Now, maybe somebody has hurt you terribly. As we mentioned in the last section, you may be one story away from a healthy heart. And forcing yourself to tell your story might deal your anger a fatal blow. On the other hand, you might be the person who won't stop telling your story. All right, you want to keep your anger because people give you sympathy, even if it's just temporary. And you keep telling your story to excuse your own behavior. Your anger has become your crutch. After all, anybody who's been through what you've been through has a right to be blah, blah, blah. But do you really want to stay that way? You know, this morning, it's time to throw away the crutches and find healing. And the only answer for this problem, the only antidote for anger, is forgiveness. That's it. Jesus tells us in Ephesians 4 to put away anger and to forgive one another just as God has forgiven us. Now, that may not seem reasonable. But I'll tell you this, the grace of God is not a reasonable thing. It is completely unreasonable that God would cover our sins with the blood of Jesus. It doesn't make any sense that he would forgive us of every wrong. And to get rid of anger, we have to extend the forgiveness God has offered to us to the people who owe us. Now think about anger for just a second. You've been hurt. I want you to think about this. When you look at this through the shadow of your pain, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward your enemy. But when you look at this through the shadow of his cross, forgiveness is just a gift from one undeserving soul to another. And we have to see this in the light of what's been done for us, instead of what's been done to us. In releasing the debt, you actually release the anger from your heart. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision. And sometimes it's a decision you have to make every day. You have to cancel the debt. And in your marriage, instead of bringing up what happened three years ago, you have to say, honey, I forgive you. And what that means is I will never, ever bring this up again. I choose not to ever bring it up again. That's real forgiveness in a human relationship. We don't have the ability to do what God can do. God said, when I forgive you, your sins as far as the east is from the west. I remember them no more. We don't have that ability, but in our human relationships, we do have the ability to say, I'm not going to hold this over your head anymore. Anger is cured by forgiveness. Let's talk about the next one, the I owe me movement. 
Okay, the I owe me movement. And that's greed. Here's the thing about greedy people. Greedy people believe they actually deserve every good thing that comes their way. And they feel like they have what they have because they've earned it. And they have stories too, maybe about growing up in a home with no financial security or about losing everything and being out on the street in a difficult circumstance. Greed is different than these other roots we're talking about because here's the thing about greed. It's almost impossible to identify in the mirror. We don't see greed in ourselves. In fact, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who said to me, well, I really struggle with greed. I never say that. What people say is, oh, I'm careful about money, or I manage things in a certain way. And greed can hide behind good things like saving or planning. It's so it's easy to hide from ourselves. But I guarantee you this, the people around us know that we talk and worry a lot about money. The people around us know that we're reluctant to share, that we're poor losers, that we quibble about tiny sums of money, that we always act like we're just getting by with everybody, and that they see our secrecy, and they know that we won't ever let them forget when we do something nice for them, that we're reluctant to express gratitude. And I'll tell you this, greed is no respecter of persons. There are greedy rich people and greedy poor people. And they're greedy middle-income people. Greed is not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Came all the way from the Garden of Eden. When Eve said, God, you didn't give me everything I deserve. I deserve that fruit. The people around you, can I just clue you in on this? The people around you, if you're greedy... They feel like they're competing with your stuff. They feel like your stuff might be more valuable than they are. And Jesus gave such a clear word picture on this when he talked about the rich fool in Luke 12. He started by saying this in verse 15. And listen, this may be the most profound statement on on money ever. Here's what Jesus said. It's so good. He said, take heed. And beware of covetousness or greed. Now listen to this sentence that he said. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of things he possesses. A man's life consists not in the abundance of things he possesses. If you tie your identity to stuff... You will always be miserable. Got to have your identity in Jesus. Life's value is not about what you have. Now, now, most people don't realize that greed is actually fueled by fear. Okay, it's fueled by what if scenarios. A, a greedy person at the core of his being fears that God either can't or won't take care of him in the way he should be taken care of. And every once in a while, we should all stop and think. Every one of us should stop and think this, especially in America. Why do I have so much? No matter how much you have, you should think that question. 
Why do I have so much? Because culture is always selling us on, that we, on what we don't have. And that leaves us as prime targets for green. Hey, answer the question in your own heart right now. Why has God provided you with more than you need? What purpose would God have for blessing you? Now think about it. Uh, the answer to that question is also the antidote for greed. Generosity. God has given us much more than we need so we can be generous in his kingdom purposes. So we can spread the gospel and minister to the hurting and serve the people around us. And generous giving breaks the grip of greed that's squeezing your heart. But here's the key. And most people don't get this. This is so huge. If you miss everything else on greed, get this part. You have to give to the point that it forces you to adjust your lifestyle for this to actually work. If you're consuming and saving to the point and then giving the leftover to God, you're greedy. Greed isn't evidenced by how you feel toward needs it's evidenced by what you actually do to meet them. See, greedy people have the same feeling rise up in their heart when they hear about a need. They just never follow through on meeting the need because they don't have any money left. Because they already used it all. I don't know why this section makes this room so quiet. It's like I could have dropped a safety pin and heard it hit the carpet during this last section. <laughs> the craziest thing. Because we don't, we can't even see greed in ourselves, right? Dare you to do this. You know some of those traits I said about greedy people? Go ask some of your family members those questions about yourself. And see what they say. Ooh, man, they even got it more quiet. I didn't think it was possible. Feel like I probably should go in the baptistry for a while. Here's the last one. This 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 one is. Oh, you don't want to miss this one. This is really where we need to get today. The God owes me movement. The God owes me movement, and that's jealousy. Most of us have been taught since we were kids that jealousy is about the other people in our lives. And it's about things they have or things they can do that we don't have or we can't do. And so we assume that our problem was with the person we envy. But it's actually with God. Because let's face it, God could have fixed all that stuff for you. God could have given you what he gave your neighbor. God could have made you her size. God could have made you his height. Rep mine. Did I say that out loud? I, oh, I thought it was subliminal. I'm sorry. It happens sometimes when you're preaching. Like, you're all of a sudden, God skipped you. Like, God was handing out Shaquille O'Neal's height, and he skipped you. Right? You're five foot six and shrinking. If God had taken care of you better, your life would be so much improved. Jealousy at its core is an accusation against the Most High God. Jealousy is really saying, God, 
You owe me. A jealousy is such an ugly sin that you might find yourself inwardly cheering on the failure of a rival. You might inwardly feel yourself cheering on the pain of someone you envy. And even though we might hate that in ourselves, it's still there. Even if it's never said out loud. Human relationships across the ages have jealousy intertwined all throughout their story. We mentioned Cain being jealous of Abel. Esau was jealous of Jacob. Joseph's brothers were jealous of his coat. Commodus was jealous of Maximus. And Woody was jealous of Buzz being played with by Andy. I think that's in the book of Hezekiah. (laughs) Jealousy is dangerous because it shapes our attitudes toward other people. And you can't really love someone that you're jealous of. Jealousy also can turn into resentment against entire groups of people. Rich people, supermodels, athletes, stay-at-home moms, career moms. You name it, jealousy and resentment will take you there. And it usually resentment, this is a verified fact, usually resentment against an entire group of people, lawyers, bankers, whoever, goes back to a jealousy episode in your past. And look, if you want to get rid of jealousy, first you have to admit that you have it. And you have it because you aren't getting what you want. And you have to admit that in the heart of this, you really think God owes you. And then the only cure, the only antidote for jealousy is celebration. Celebrate the success of the people you tend to envy. Make it a habit in your life to celebrate people that you normally would envy. That's God's cure. Now, here's today's big truth. You say, Pastor, we're talking about modern church. We're talking about connecting with the culture. Why do we talk about this today? Because we have to seek to understand modern struggles. But we also have to understand that their source is the same source as all human struggles have always been. Jesus said in Mark 7 that it all comes from the heart. Our problems don't come from our culture. And you always hear people talk about this all the time. This culture is the worst it's ever been. And it's rubbing off on our young people. Well, actually, it all comes from the heart. Well, who said that? Jesus did. But wait, just a second. But the culture is ruining our kids. No, it's the heart. The culture is messed up. It sure is. But the only thing that ruins people, the heart. And if we don't teach our kids that, we're going to come at parenting from this issue that we try to protect the outside of them so much that we don't worry about where the problems really actually come from. And we're going to have kids that grow up doing this huge list of Christian duties and looking this way, cookie cutter stamped, but they don't really love people. And they don't really love God, and they think they're better than everybody else because they look and act a certain way. That's dangerous. 
That's very dangerous. But we've got to watch the heart. Our problems come from inside. We're going to talk a lot in this series about these issues of our day. But I don't, I don't want you to forget that they all come from ancient issues. Here's today's faith challenge. Let's see if you're willing to take it. Are you willing to lean in to God's answers for your issues? Maybe today you need to commit to confession because you have a huge vault of guilt or shame inside of you. Maybe you have to choose forgiveness because those debts of anger that you're holding on to are eating you alive. Anger is a horrible poison because it kills the vessel that holds it instead of the other guy. Maybe you need to live out generosity, taking away greed's hold from your heart. It could be that you need to celebrate what God's doing for others instead of living with the disgusting jealousy that takes over. When we get to a message like this, I'm positive, I am positive that God has an action step that he wants every single one of us to take. Yeah, how are you positive? Because I got four I need to take. Right? I need to do better at confession. I need to do better at forgiveness. I need to do better at generosity. I need to do better at celebration. And I need Jesus' help to do that because I can't do it in my own strength. And if you're like me, you got some decisions to make too. If you're one of the perfect people, we don't really want you here because this is an imperfect church. Right? And if you're one of the perfect people who doesn't have any sin, I don't want to be mean and say leave now, but leave after the service. We want people who know that they need Jesus to become more like Jesus. Now, I'm sure that God has an action step he wants every one of us to take. I'm sure that the Holy Spirit right now is speaking to you about something in this place. And let's bow together. As we bow, let's take just a moment. Let's hear from God in our hearts. Let's make decisions that are worthy of him. God, as we close this service today, We are amazed and astounded by your grace that you would offer mercy to people such as we. Oh, how we need your grace. Lord, there are people in here today who have guilt and shame, secrets that they keep holding on to year after year, a decade after decade, and it's just eating, their, just eating them. Give them the courage to confess. Give them the courage to open that box and set them free. Lord, there are some who've decided right now in their hearts, they're deciding that they need forgiveness. They're holding a debt. Somebody's hurt them. But nobody's any, done anything to us worse than what we did to you. Our sins nailed you to a wooden cross. I pray that you would help us to choose to forgive as you forgive. Lord, help us to make the decision to be generous, to relieve our hearts from greed. Help us to celebrate those who we might normally be envious of. 
And I pray in this series, Modern Church, that you would work in our hearts a special way and make us into the being you've created us to be. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.